You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. What's up, guys? Hey, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Venture Church. Uh, I noticed that a few of you might have got in a few minutes uh, late this morning, and I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying you may have missed something absolutely ridiculous. I heard that there was a, what was it? I missed the whole thing. It was like an 80s uh, karaoke band was here. I don't know, maybe you'll see it on Facebook later. Um, If you're a guest here today, thanks for joining us, especially those of you guys who are maybe in town now for UNCW. You're either a new student or a returning student. Welcome back. Hope you had a great summer. Man, Back to the Future. Man, I remember seeing this movie for the first time and it just blowing my mind. Just Just the concept of time travel, not to mention Michael J. Fox. That guy's like the coolest guy. I still want to be like Michael J. Fox. That guy was awesome. The, the, the hair, the, the shades, that sweet little jacket that he wore. And, uh, and then, can you believe it's been 30 years since that movie came out? 30 years. Yeah, 30 years. And then it was even cooler when the second one came out. He broke out the hoverboard. Remember that bad boy? And so, like, it's, I love the idea of science fiction. I love the idea of time travel. I'm a bit of a nerd. Uh, I could tell you about all the books that I've read that you've never heard of that you're like, yeah, you're Definitely not anywhere near as cool as anybody else that I know. I, I love science fiction, stuff, science fiction stuff, but maybe that's not for you. Maybe the whole idea of time travel and, and, and living on uh, Mars in little pods and all that just doesn't get you excited. But the concept of what if, what if you could go back and change something in the past? Now, that's something that gets all of our attention. I, I would wager that everyone in this room would have at least one moment in their life. They were like, if I could just not have gotten their haircut, like they said it was business in the front, party in the back, but that is, that was a lie. <laughs> like it's not what it was. Like you might regret one thing. Last week I was out with my buddy Marshall on his boat uh, at Riceville uh, and uh, we're doing some wake surfing, having a great time. And um, man, I have one of those moments that I wish I could take back. Uh, I, I fell off the board after one ride right onto a jellyfish. Yeah, I've, I've been like, is this a jellyfish before? I don't know if you can see this. Anybody see that? Yeah, this thing tried to eat me. He thought it was Thanksgiving dinner. And like he just and I'm I'm like in the water, treading water, also think I'm on fire, have to pull his head off, rip his little legs off. I'm sorry, Brian, I murdered that jellyfish. <laughs> Call the police. Like he is dead. Um you know, I wish that I could have that moment back. <laughs> if there's one thing of last week that I wish is like, I wish that didn't happen. And there are a lot of moments like that. Some moments are like straight up failure moments. Some moments where I just was really embarrassed by something that I did, a bad choice that I made, a dollar that I shouldn't have spent, a relationship that I shouldn't have built. Like, are you with me there? There are moments in our past that we wish that maybe we could change or take back. Uh, and if we could go back and change time, what would we do? What if we didn't uh, take that certain prom date to the prom? What if we took a different job instead of the one we took or went to a different college or university? Um, so for the next month, what we're going to be doing for about four weeks is going on a little bit of a journey through time, uh, a throwback, a throwback. Uh, I love the concept that God can use pretty much anything, I would say anything, as a starting point for a conversation about him. And so there's some pretty iconic movies from the 80s that kind of jump out at us all. Back to the Future is one of them. And you look at that and you're like, you know what? I don't know that we can really talk about God from that. Oh, I'm pretty sure we can. I hope so because I wrote a sermon about it today. The 80s are something that we can really talk about. When you look at modern culture today, uh, full disclosure, I was born in 82. So though I was a child through most of the 80s, I'm a 90s kid at heart, like totally Kurt Cobain, flannel, long hair, don't take a shower. Like that was my whole generation. Some of you in this room I recognize were not even alive in any part of the 80s. I get that too. But for the rest of us, I want to remind you, 1990 was 25 years ago. 
What's crazy is when you look at culture today, so much of the 80s is popping its head right back up. Have you seen that in fashion, in music? Okay, just let's get real for a second. Both Madonna and U2 put out a new album this year. Yeah, it is 1985 all over again. We're living it right now. And so I think Throwback is a good series for us to be going through. We're going to be looking through some fun movies. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look forward to revealing each movie each week. I'll be preaching most of them. Patrick's going to come up here and do one. And, and uh, it's going to be fun to go through this. But what I want to use uh, these movies for is kind of a platform to dive into the Bible. You get that? And so we're talking about uh, Back to the Future today, but not really. Maybe it's been 30 years since you've seen Back to the Future. Maybe you saw it in the theater. Um, and popcorn was like, what, 75 cents? I don't know. Uh, how much was it, Stephanie? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I don't know, but let me give you the recap of, of what the movie was all about, okay? Uh, this dude that you saw at the very beginning of this clip, his name was Marty McFly, played by the awesome Michael J. Fox. He's buddies with this insane yet genius uh, inventor named Doc Brown. And Doc Brown has invented a time machine. And through some crazy series of events, Marty McFly accidentally gets sent back in time 30 years to 1955. And when he gets there, he makes the boneheaded move of interrupting the meeting of his parents, their first meeting, so that they could never fall in love. And what makes it even weirder is that uh, she falls in love with her own son from the future. That, do you remember that part? She names him Calvin. That's funny. Um, but that happens, and then the plot develops as Marty McFly has to try to get his parents to fall back in love with each other so that history can be right, or he be deleted from all existence. Um, it's a, another fun fact about Back to the Future is this. I don't know if you remember Back to the Future 2, but when he goes into the future 30 years, do you know when he comes out? October 2015. So like next month, he might actually be at church with us here at Venture. I'm not sure. I'm putting in some calls on his big old block cell phone. Um, so uh, what we want to get to bogged down in the movie, I just want to use as a place, the concept, future and past and present. And what does that mean? Uh, there was an, an American mathematician. His name was Edward Lawrence. And uh, he, he studied something that's called chaos theory. And if you look up chaos theory, it's, it's got a lot of little nuances to it. But he kind of coined this phrase within that called the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is something a lot of science fiction writers have used to great effect. Um, but here's, here's like the, the snapshot of what the butterfly effect is. Uh, it, it goes something like this. It's a metaphor. There, there's a butterfly over here that flaps its little wings. It disturbs the air just a little bit. It causes a chain reaction in the air and in the atmosphere. And before you know it, over here, there's a hurricane. It's the butterfly effect. And basically it says this, a small change can lead to a great result. A small change can have a chain reaction that can have a large outcome. Now, you don't have to live life very long to realize that that's true. You know that one small thing you did that you're like, I've been paying for that for 20 years. You know what I mean? The butterfly effect is something that science fiction writers love to play around with. Uh, they love to get with the idea that what if we could go and rearrange and move around moments in time? Now, playing with time is not something that you take lightly. You don't have to watch very many time travel movies or be a Doctor Who fan for very long. Uh, I'm a Whovian myself. I love Doctor Who. To know that you just don't play with time. It's, not, it's something that you can do in the science fiction realm, but let's, let's be serious about something. In our real life, time is valuable. And it's important how we use it. It's important what we invest it in. And when it comes to talking about God, time is something that's extremely important. I mean, God created time. Before the existence of the earth and time as we know it, God existed outside of time. 
It was his idea, and he becomes the master of time. He becomes the person who sets into motion so many of these things. And when you read through the Old Testament of the Bible, which is that first like two-thirds of the Bible uh, that is about the history of Israel and, 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 and God's plan being laid out for how Jesus is eventually going to come, and we'll see him in the New Testament, what you see is that God's timing is impeccable. He has things lined up, boom, 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 because he understands the essence of what time is and how to use it to its best effect. Now, it's important for us to know what God says about time. And so I believe, and I say this every week here at Venture, that, uh, that the Bible holds the answers to some of life's most important questions. And so what I want to do is take this concept and dive into the Bible. If, you, if you've got one with you today, grab it. Uh, we have some free ones that we give away. Some of them are scattered under your seats. We have more back at the host table. Uh, and then also the scripture I'll be reading will be on the screen behind me. Um, but the Bible has a lot to say about time. And so what we're going to be doing is actually diving into a very tiny book at the end of the New Testament of the Bible. Almost the very last book of the Bible. It's called Second Peter. So if you want to grab your Bible, turn to Second Peter. Also grab your phone. You can get a, a free Bible app from your app store. No problem there. Um, flip over to Second Peter and you want to put your thumb uh, or your finger on Second Peter chapter 3. And let me give you a, a little bit of backup before we get there. A little bit of background. Second Peter chapter 3. Um, Peter was this guy who was a follower of Jesus. He, he was one of Jesus' closest human friends. Jesus is God in the flesh who came to earth and kind of live a life to set an example for us and to show us the way back to God. And there were a few men that he invested in. One of them was this guy, Peter. Peter's story kind of unfolds in the New Testament of the Bible. And what we see is this, this roughneck guy who was hot-headed, always quick to jump into a fight, always spoke his mind whether it was going to get him trouble or not. He often caused a lot of trouble. You see what happens when a guy like that, it's just super inspirational to watch Peter's life develop. A guy like that develop into this really conscientious, humble, meek, loving teacher when he meets Jesus or after he spends some time with Jesus. It's amazing what happens. That, that's who Peter is. We'll be in Second Peter. Um, Peter has two books that he wrote in the New Testament. Both of them bear his name, First and Second Peter. Second uh, Peter, um, I tell you, if, if you're new to church, if you're just trying to get into God or maybe back into God, maybe the Bible hasn't been something you spent a lot of time in, let me advise that you pick up Second Peter and read it. I, I did it this week. I, I sat down in my car. I read it in like, I think between five and ten minutes, read it from cover to cover. It's only three chapters. And it's got some really meaty uh, good teachings about a Christian life and, what, and who God is and some things. And so uh, it does, if you're new in the Bible and, you, and you're not really certain about a lot of things going on there, you might have to look up a couple of concepts like, you know, there's some Old Testament references and things. But I totally recommend that you check out Second Peter. By the time we get to chapter 3, Peter's in the middle of this kind of discussion with the people that he's writing to. When people talk about God, one of the things they want to talk about is the end of time. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those conversations. Personally, I despise them uh, because it's all speculation. It's all theory. And you could, I could get up here and I could tell you my whole theory on all of it. And you could be like, yeah, that's interesting. Now let me preach. Um, because we don't know what's going to happen at the end of time. But we do know some things that God has revealed to us. And so while the people are discussing this, one question comes up. And they say, why is God taking so long to end the world? You look around and you see all the mess that happens. I mean, just do it. Think about the news that you watched this week or the newspaper that you picked up. And you're like, why is God letting this go on? And for a modern Christian like, like me and like you, it's even heavier because I look back at Jesus' life. That guy lived 2,000 years ago. And then he said, I promise I'm going to come back. I'm going to collect the faithful, right? And I look at that and I'm like, well, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And so Peter wants to answer that really heavy question. We're going to be in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 and 9. And we're pretty much going to camp out in those two verses all day. 
He addresses this question, and let's just read it together. It says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is, is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. And he's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Sometimes my kids, they trip me out because uh, they don't have like a, a full grasp, full concept on time. Um, when they were really small, like just learning how to talk and just communicate, we measured time in uh, sleeps. Did you have your little kids, you measure time in sleep? How many sleeps does it tell my birthday? How many sleeps till grandma gets? You know what I mean? And like, and you can lie to them. You can, you can tell, they don't understand time. How long until we get there? Ah, uh, 10 minutes. It's just 10 minutes. Just close your eyes. <laughs> Three hours later, we're pulling up to grandma's house. Because they have no idea, no concept of time. But as you grow up, you get more perspective on time. I was hanging out with a friend of mine just a few weeks ago. And it was funny because we're having some coffee. We're talking. And I'm like, man, how's your little girl? How's your little baby? She's doing okay, man. She must be, what, five, six months old? He was like, dude, she's about to turn two. And I'm like, and what hit me was it had been almost a year and a half since I'd hung out with this friend. I thought we'd hung out very recently. And so did he until we put together, like, you really thought my child was five months old? We, time flies. And the older you get, it's like, man, is it Christmas already? What? Another election has come? It's another Olympics? Time just flies. Now, I want to take that perspective, and then I want you to overlay it on God, okay? God, an eternal being who existed before time and will be here after time. What is time like for him? Like, he looks down at our life, and he's like, man, why are you stressed out about this thing that's going to be over in 10 minutes? Like, for real, like this... Like, I see empires rise and fall like it's a weekend activity. And Peter reminds us, let's look at it again. But do not forget one thing, dear friends, that with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. I, I, I want to take this as a first little piece and say, God's priorities are way different than ours. When he looks at the grand scheme of things, I just wonder how often he's like, could you guys just back up and look at the big picture for just a minute? Just a minute, you're, you're stuck in this little thing, and I get it. I get it, but if you could just back up. Now, when I hear that, I would think, because often I get frustrated with my kids, I'm like, I told you, five minutes. <laughs> you know, it's almost time to eat, but no, you can't have a snack. Ah, and I'm frustrated. And you would think that God, infinitely time, timeless, looking at us and our finite selves going, oh, but look at the next verse, verse 9. It says, but the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness, like me. Instead, he's patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. That's a huge concept. God is patient. I, I want to take this last verse, verse 9, and I think that as we kind of reach into that passage today and see what can we pull out that will make our life uh, closer to God, closer to understanding what we should do with our life, I think there are two principles, two concepts that we can pull out. And if, if you're a note taker, these will be the two things you write down. The first one is this. God is patient with us. God is patient with us. And when you read the whole Bible, if you start at the very beginning and you just read through the history of what the Bible says, the thing that I see over and over and over again is I see that God's kind of looking down on humanity and he says something like this. Okay, I see that you've really messed up here. Um, that it's not what I told you to do. I actually told you to do the opposite of that, but you're doing that, so. But here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to give you a second chance to get yourself straight. 
I challenge you, look through the Bible and see how many times God does that first with the people in the very beginning and then with the nation of Israel and then with these kings that are con- consistently being told, don't do that, don't do that, stop, don't do that. Prophets are coming to them, teachers are coming to them, God said don't do this and they're like, okay, and then they do their own thing over and over again and then I look into my own life and I just think how many chances I've had to get myself straight. I'm so glad that God is patient with me because if he was as impatient with me as I am sometimes with my children <laughs> yeah it would be a bad situation for me and for all of us God is patient with us each person each generation each individual gets a chance to turn away from ourselves and towards God and these are essential essentially our options we look at God we do what he tells us to do or we look within ourselves in our community and we say what should we do those are our two options and God says I've told you what you should do, but I'm going to be patient while you figure it out. Why? Because I'm not willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. That doesn't mean uh, that we won't die. In fact, physical death is a reality, right? We all understand that. You know, has anybody known someone that has lived forever? No, not yet, right? It's just like all of our friends and family, eventually our bodies will fail us. So what does it mean when God says he's not willing that any of us would perish, but that we would come to repentance? He's talking about spiritual life. And what I want to do right now is kind of take a step aside here and talk about something that I think is pretty real to all of us. I feel like this moment is, is something that we can talk about, this whole time thing as it relates to what's going on in here with each one of us. Because there's a piece of time that we have a firm grasp on. It's not the future. It's not always the present. But we are pretty firmly grasped in the past. The past is really one of the things that makes us who we are. And so often we come uh, to a setting like this where we talk about spiritual things and the thing that ticks in our brain over and over and over again is memories from our past. Things that have held us away. I would wager that on, on, on average, the people that I talk to, the, the majority of the people that I talk to about God, the thing that holds them back from making a decision towards following God further or getting more uh, in, in line with what they feel like maybe God is even telling them to do, the thing that holds them away from that is something in their past. <coughs> it could be a bad experience they had with church. It could be some misunderstanding or some uh, anger that they have with God. It, it may be that they just are holding on to something that they did personally. They're like, you know, there's no way God could forgive me for this that I've done. It's impossible. It might be something that had been done to them in the past. If there's a God who loves me, he would have never let that happen. But the reality is that our past is something that we get bogged down in. And when it comes to going and turning to God, this is what's awesome. He says, I don't want you to die in that mess. I don't want you to be eternally and spiritually tied up in your past. I'm not willing that any should perish. Jesus has this thing that he says, and it's in the book of Matthew chapter 11. In verse 28, I'll just read it to you, but he says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You got stuff in your past? Come to me. And I will give you, if you're reading this along with me, will you say that word? I will give you what? Rest. Isn't that what we want? And like, why do we even seek God in the first place? It's this sense of peace that we're looking for. Why do we seek value in anything? It's because I want to feel like I've got it right. It's that idea, it's rest, it's peace. He says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. Bring that to me, I will give you rest. This next sentence is, is crucial. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to explain that a little bit. That word yoke is pretty crucial to what Jesus is saying. Uh, there, there are kind of two understandings of the word yoke when Jesus is talking here, um, especially as it comes to agriculture and dealing with animals, okay? And this is a word we still use today. A yoke is kind of this harness thing that you would hook to a beast of burden, and you would use that to hook the, the two beasts, ox, together if you want to, and then to a machinery or to a wagon or to drag a plow or something. And that's the yoke. It's the thing that you would put around the necks of these beasts of burden, and they would be able to perform their job. That's a yoke, okay? Definition one, most common, we still use it today. The second one is this, and it's more cultural for Jesus. Uh, Jesus was a teacher, and in his language, they called him a rabbi. It just meant teacher. And a rabbi would have a set of teachings, a set of philosophies, a set of principles, uh, a lifestyle that he would recommend and that he would, uh, that he would kind of say, this is the, if you want to follow me and you want to do what I say do, this is what I want you to do. And what he would call that set of teachings was his yoke. And so you would go to a teacher and you would say, I would like to take on your yoke. You follow that? It's an imagery. What it is that you say I should do, I want to put that around my neck. I want to do that. And what Jesus gives us here is this beautiful word picture. He says, listen, you're carrying some, some garbage. Like you've got stuff in your past. You've got this mess. You've got these burdens. Bring that to me. It's around your neck. You've been dragging it through the mud, and I know it's heavy. Bring it to me. Lay it at my feet. It's a hard thing to do. Because then we feel like, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? And God says, i got something for you. Take this yoke. I love what he says. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's not that being a Christian will be easy. It's that if we follow the principles that Jesus teaches and has us live by, we'll find rest. And I would much rather work really, really hard and go down to a peaceful night's sleep than be stressed out and can't get a wink of shut eye. Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened, I will give you rest. God is patient. He's patient with us. And what he says is, bring that mess to me. Bring your past to me. Lay it at my feet. I said we could learn uh, two things from this passage. The first one is that God is patient with us. The second one is this. God's patient for a reason because he wants us to repent. Now let's look at that verse again. It says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Instead, he is patient with you, not willing for anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. You know, when I, I first uh, thought of using Back to the Future as one of the movies um, that we dive into the Bible with, I was actually sitting with Aaron, and we were talking through all the movies, and there's like a million great movies from the 80s. And I'm like, what do we do? And I see Back to the Future, and I'm like, sure, we'll talk about uh, Back to the Future, and that'll probably be like something about how the choices we make affect our future, and that might then that just be kind of the, the sermon. And then I landed on this passage about with God, a thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. That's time. That's time. And then I landed on this sentence. He's with patient with us. Why? Because he wants us to come to repentance. If you were to take all the teachings, the collective teachings of the entire Old Testament, and then you couple them with the teachings of Jesus when he first begins and the apostles as they go throughout into the world and like make the church happen. And you want to boil all that down into kind of one lesson that is, is down to one word. I think that the word that you would come up with would also be the word that would most impact our past, present, and future. The word that I think encapsulates everything that they teach in the Old Testament that God wants from us is repentance. 
Like if you look through the teachers in the Old Testament, they're not like, here's what you should do. You need to make sure that you measure out this much time in your week and spend this many hours reading your Bible and then be a good person to this many people. And you can be, you know, you can stack these people in the back. That's okay because they're not our people. And like, there's not like this checklist of things God wants us to do. And there, there are some principles he wants us to live by. There's some qualities of life and some standards that he wants us to follow. The one word that is most consistent in all of the Old Testament teachings, which are the prophets coming to the world and telling us what God wants from us, the most consistent word is repent. Repentance. And repentance has the ability to affect our past. It has the ability to protect, uh, affect our present and affect our future. But here's the thing. Repentance is a, a concept that I think is often misunderstood. Several weeks ago, we did a teaching series called Under Construction. And we did a week where we talked about repentance. And what I said was that a lot of people, when they think about repentance, the idea, the definition that comes to their mind is something like uh, saying, I'm sorry. I repent. I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize. That's certainly part of it. Or even repentance means you're going to um, don't do any more bad things. Like I've said, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do more bad things. Yes, that, that is part of it. But I want to give us a different visual when we think about the word repentance. I, I read somewhere once, and it stuck with me for a long time, that repentance is simply this. Turning my back to my old self and the people that I uh, used to associate with, the actions that I used to do, the bad things I used to do to keep me from God, turn my back to that putting my face to God and walking in that direction. Repentance is not just a feeling. I feel bad for what I did. I'm sorry. I apologize. That's certainly part of it. Repentance is an action. It's saying, you know what? I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to change something about my heart that leads to a change in my actions. Why is God so patient with us? Because that's what he wants. God is so patient with us because he wants us to turn our backs on the things that keep him away from him, set our faces towards him, and begin taking steps towards him. What's really interesting about this is it's not like he wants us to instantly be over there. He doesn't want us to, like, teleport. Like, okay, turn my back and I'm perfect. No, he just says, no, begin walking in this direction. Get your mind set on me. Get your heart set on me on things above, not on things of this world. Repentance. You know what's beautiful is this. Repentance has this awesome butterfly effect you make small changes small changes in the way that you feel towards the things in your life that keep you away from god small changes you might feel like a little butterfly flapping his wings and i'm just i'm struggling over here like i've been trying to go to church i've been trying to hang out with different people i've been trying to uh, and, and look, don't get me wrong i'm not saying that if you're going to turn your heart to god you got to turn your back on all people that's actually not true at all god wants us to shine light in the people's lives that don't have him but we're all well aware that some of the people and the, some of the circumstances we put us in are the things that keep us away from God, right? And we might feel like these things are just so futile. And I'm just this little butterfly and I'm flapping, 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 flapping. What's crazy though is that there's this cumulative effect of the work that we do in our life to say, God, I'm turning towards you. I'm turning towards you. I'm flapping my wings. And as that chain reaction happens, a major change happens where? In the future. Repentance. Verse 9 again, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I've seen this in my own life. It's the harder that I hold on to sin, the harder that I hold on to regret, the harder that I hold on to my past back here, the pain, the selfishness, the harder it is for me to connect with God. I can't sing songs to him. I can't stand up here and talk about him. I can't read my Bible because I'm stuck over here. God says, let it go. Drop it at my feet, take my yoke, turn this way, and walk. Now, that's the two things I think we can learn from that. That God is patient with us, 
And he is patient with us because he wants us to come to repentance. But the big payoff happens here. That once we make this decision to say, God, I'm, I'm turning my back on my old me, walking towards the new me and towards you. He says, good. You don't have to do that by yourself. Like, I know when a lot of us look at changing anything about life, like, if you're just like, I just want to get a new phone number from Verizon. Why is this so complicated? Like, anytime you just want to do something simple, change is difficult. God says, if you're willing to make the change, I got your back. I I said earlier that God created time. And one of the coolest things about God is that even though he created time, he doesn't sit up there like all snobby, like, I set the clock rolling and I put it on a shelf and you just have fun with that. Have fun with life. Figure that out. No, God said... I created time and I see life down there and and I want to be able to help you. So here's what he did. He said, I'm coming down there and I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to show you the path to God. I'm going to show you what it means to live the life that I have designed for you. In fact, uh, the way that I like to look at that is God stepped out of his timeline and into ours. And there's so many different places that we can look in the Bible to see that. One of them that is so solid to me is in the book of Philippians in chapter 2. And you can flip there, but it'll be right on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 2, just verses 6 through 8. You can read that whole chapter. It's awesome. But this is what it says. It says, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, Jesus is God, who put on flesh, is God in skin, come down to earth. Jesus, who being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God to be something that he should be held to his advantage. Another translation said he didn't consider this something he should continue to hold on to. Jesus is up there. He's, he's, he's God. He looks down. And he says, I'm not just going to hold on to this. Instead, rather, verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in every appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death. On the cross. God stepped out of his place in heaven. Outside of the comfort zones that he had every right to hold on to. He stepped into our timeline so that he could show us the way to God. So he could show us that path. What do I turn my back on? Where do I go? He said, follow me. Bring me your burdens. Take on my yoke. Follow me. I got you. When Michael J. Fox, when uh, Marty McFly goes back into 1955, he steps into his parents' timeline and totally screws everything up. <laughs> he's like, almost ruined his whole entire family tree. He's like, man, I'm starting to vanish. And there's the Polaroid picture and he starts to fade away. Like, uh, when we try to like take control of our past like that, it, we just, we mess it up. You know I mean? And I, and I think there's some things in our past that we can really do some good with. If you got some trauma in your past, some abuse, Counseling is a good thing. Therapy is an excellent thing. I'm going to encourage you to find a a God-centered, Jesus-centered counselor to get involved with. Friends and accountability, that's amazing. But when we try to carry all that weight all by ourselves, we just collapse underneath the weight of it. But Jesus says, I can carry this. I can take care of your past. I can manage your present. I can prepare a future for you. Jesus is the master of all time. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And so it clarifies as he says, Jesus is the beginning and the end. There's a passage that says he is holy. He was and he is and he is to come. With Jesus, time is not a thing. He's not looking at us going, man, you know what? Ah, I just don't have time for you right now. He's like, I got eternity for you. 
You talk to me. You lay your burdens at my feet and I will bring you rest. I will put people in your life to build you up. I will show you in my word where you can find this path that gets back to me. And he made sure that he wanted to demonstrate his perfect timing for us when he came to earth. I love this passage from Romans chapter 5 starting at verse 6. It says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He had the time thing figured out. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's talk about the perfect timing of God. I mean, before any of us were even born, Jesus was thinking about us. And he said, listen, I know that you're going to go through some mess, but here's the thing. I want to let you know I can carry that for you. I am patient with you. But I want you to turn your heart to me. I want you to repent from the things that have kept you away from me. And I want you to walk towards me. You know, as we wrap up today, I just want to kind of put a couple of thoughts in your mind. And ask you to kind of think about them. What is it that God is being patient for you on? What is it that God's being patient for you on? Maybe he's been waiting around for you to give church a try. He made it. I'm serious. That's awesome. Like, God was like, i just been putting this, this co-worker in your life, and right now you're elbowing them like, yeah, you've been inviting me for like three and a half years, and I finally came. Is it possible that God's just been patient for that? I want to show you my love. I want to show you my light. I want to get you into this love that I have for you. What is it for you? Is it for you that you've got a, a thing in your life that you do need to turn your back on? And God's saying, listen, I don't know how many different ways to tell you this. Like, the preacher got up and wore a wig and sang 80s music this morning. Like, I don't know, like, what else do you want from me? I'm trying so hard to show you that I love you. What else do you want from me? If you missed that, sorry, it was earlier. Maybe it's just time for you to make some decisions about where your heart is. Maybe for others of you, it's just time for you to decide. Like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I've been hearing about this Jesus thing. I've heard some things. It's time for me to decide. It's time for me to actually say, I want to be all in. I want to tell you this. This to me is a definition of all in for you. That you stand up at some point in your life. It doesn't, and we actually don't have people come forward at church here. Uh, you don't have to do that. The Bible doesn't say you have to do that. That you will walk up to a friend of yours that came with you from church or come talk to me after church and you walk up to them and you say, I'm ready to be all in. And your friend goes, sweet. And you say, what do I need to do? And they say, here's what we need to do. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you want to make him the Lord of your life? Yes, I do. Then let's baptize you today. We're going to do that. The Bible promises that when you get baptized, he'll forgive your sins. He'll bring you the Holy Spirit into your life, which is that helper. I said, God's going to come along. He's going to help you with the repentance process. And I love so many times that after a Sunday morning service, I'll get a phone call from someone. I was like, hey, I'm in. I'm all in. And we'll head over to the beach and we'll do a baptism or their friends will do it in their pool. And what we're seeing is that God is taking that moment to say, I want to change your future. I want to change your eternity. And I've got the power for that all in my hands. If you want to make that decision today, will you please come talk to me, talk to somebody that you came with? So I want to be all in. God's been patient for me. I think it's about time. The last thing that he might, you might just need to hear is this. You don't know how deep you want to get into God right now. You came for the first week. Eh, it's kind of cool. Coffee was good. Music was good. Preaching, I'm not sure. Here's my challenge for you. Just come back again. Come back one more time. Come back next week. See what other crazy things we do and see what else we dive into, into the Bible from an 80s movie. God is the master of your past. He's the master of your present. He's absolutely the master of our future. 
even before any of us were born, God stepped into our timeline so that we could change, have a future change because of him. And that's not science fiction. That's reality. That's real life. That's love. That's God's love. Let's pray. God, I love you. And it's just, it's humbling to get to read your word and then talk about it. Um, I want just to thank you for changing my life through decisions you've helped me make. I pray that you will continue to let me bring the burdens of my life to your feet and take on your yoke every day. I pray for those in this room right now who are at a place where they're just uh, thinking through what what maybe you're being patient for them on. Maybe they've already decided to follow you, but there's just some things they need to continue to lay at your feet. I pray over those burdens, that stress, that financial situation that they're dealing with right now, or uh, they're just back into college and they're, they're a little bit nervous, or or the sickness in their family that's happening, that you can just step in and, and show up, whatever that means for them in their life, that we can all have the faith to pray beyond our circumstances. God, we love you. We praise you for Jesus, and not only that he died and he made himself human, but most of all, that he defeated death and he rose from it so that we can have the promise of new life too. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.